Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to dive right into, we started uh, this message last Sunday, and there's sometimes messages, especially as we've been going through the book of Romans, where I've known, stepping into the pulpit, I've known that the, the sermon that I've planned is going to go longer. Uh, but I always try to step in hoping, Lord, if, you, if it be your will, uh, make this miracle happen that we can get through this in the amount of time that we have. But last Sunday, he didn't, he didn't want to do that. And so we only got through one point of a three-point message out of Romans chapter 8 and uh, verses 11 through uh, 11 through se- or 12 through 17 this morning. So I want to start by just going ahead and, and diving right into the passage this morning, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 12. And it says this, so then brothers and sisters. So by that we can tell when he's talking to brothers and sisters, he's talking to who? He's talking to those who have responded to the gospel, who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are following as disciples of Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh or we are no longer entrapped by the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. Now that may mislead some people sometimes to think that, okay, if I sin as I am saved, does that mean that I fall back into lostness? No, that does not mean that you fall back into lostness because you see God is not like us. Have you ever lost something and, uh, and found it, but then you lost it again? You know, you know what I struggle with the most with that is these bad boys right here. I lose them daily, sometimes multiple times daily. But see, once we're found by Jesus, he never loses us again. He holds us tightly. That's what the gospel's saying. But what he is saying is if we live according to the flesh, we will die. That part of our relationship begins to die with him. He says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption whereby or whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are also heirs. And we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I want to go into verse number 18 too, because I think it really brings a, a wonderful conclusion to this thought. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would illuminate us to truth. I pray this morning that you would be the speaker, that you would be the teacher today. I pray also, as I've said so many times already this morning on the way to church and just a moment ago, I pray that you would bind the hand of the enemy and that you would be able to accomplish all that you have set out to accomplish within us today. I pray as well for those that are listening on our podcast right now. I pray that you would speak through that. I pray that you would speak through our virtual worship service that is taking place as well. May you be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned several times, that as we come into Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be spending several weeks in Romans chapter 8 alone, and you might be saying, man, we've been in Romans, it seems like, since the beginning of time. And the truth is, we probably could be and still not exhaust everything that we need to get out of the book. But Romans chapter 8 has been known as, or has been called, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Uh, Wednesday or Thursday night, I got to meet with our, our, our RISE students, and we began kind of a series on prayer. And guess where I went? Just going into 
the series on prayer. It was into Romans chapter 8. And as I sat down, I said, hey, we're going to be looking at Romans 8 tonight. We had one of our students popped up and said, that's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. My favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And I'm like, really? Did you, are you just like copying off of what I've been saying in, in, on Sunday morning? She's like, no, I just, I just have loved that passage because it just gives me so much promise and hope. Romans chapter 8 is full of promise. It's full of hope. It's full of, of just an understanding of how good God is and how good we have it in him. And as we move into chat, uh, verses 12 through 17, what we're going to see is we're going to see that the Holy Spirit kind of comes to the forefront. You see, up until now, it's been about the, the, the forefront was our sin in, verse, in chapters 1 through five. And what our sin has done, it has killed us spiritually. And then the focus became to be on Jesus Christ and God's love for us and how we are set free from our sin. And we're set free from the bondage and the slavery. And now we're married to Christ, who is the perfect groom to us. All of those things. And now we see that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. He encourages us. He illuminates us to truth. And he also strengthens us in our fight against sin or in the battle against sin. That was point number one last Sunday. See, the big idea that we see here in verses 12 through 17 and what you see is, you see that the Holy Spirit exists to give us an assurance of our faith. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes following Christ and, and, and following him when I can't reach out and touch him and when I can't reach out and see him, sometimes it gets difficult to know that he is there, especially when things around me get dark. Is that, is that just me? It's sometimes hard to hold on to faith. It's sometimes hard to hold on to trust that he is there. And that's why Jesus said, when I leave, it's better for me to leave to the disciples. Because when I leave, the Holy Spirit and the Comforter will come to indwell each one of us. To show us that I am there and I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is how God has decided to give us that constant everyday relationship with him. is through the Holy Spirit residing inside of our hearts. And the big idea that we've been looking at is assurance of our faith or assurance or security in the Christian life must come from intimacy with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. If we, like, if we quench out the relationship with the Lord, if we quench out communication with the Holy Spirit, if we quench out hearing from him every day, we are going to lose assurance of our faith. We're going to lose assurance of God's power. We're going to lose assurance of Jesus's goodness. It's just the way it goes. Just about every time I talk to somebody who's struggling in their faith, we go back to this one question, and it is, how is your relationship with God? Have you been talking to him? Have you been hearing from him? And a lot of times it comes down to saying, I don't, I feel like it's not going higher than the ceiling. I'm asking you this question. How intimate is your relationship with the Lord? Because we can kill intimacy by just having a checklist that we follow. We can kill intimacy by doing all the right things, yet having a heart that is set on other things. We can kill intimacy with the Spirit in so many ways. But Paul is talking right here and he is saying, and remember, he's just come out of this, this whole like mind argument in chapter 7. Remember the things I know to do, I don't do. The things I do, I know not to do. And he's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a mess and I'm a wreck right now. And Paul is coming to this understanding that if I want to not be a mess, if I want to not be a wreck, I've got to I've got to silence everything out in my life and I've got to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Assurance and security in the Christian life must come from intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And the reason for that is because we get three huge benefits that we see in chapter eight in our text right here that we see. 
Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's not everything that the Holy Spirit does. He does so much more than just these things. But if we're looking for assurance of our faith, confidence in our faith, why do you think that being confident in our faith matters? It matters because a bold faith makes a difference in a lost world. A bold faith, a confident faith, knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he has done for us gives us confidence to witness strongly for him. And so here's what the Spirit does. Last Sunday, we looked at the fact that he strengthens us against sin in our battle against sin. We see that in verse number 12. Brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That, that word, so then, is like therefore. It means that we're not condemned anymore. Since we're not condemned in our sin, we should have strength over sin. We don't have to look at sin as the big bad boogeyman that controls us anymore. He's not shaking the keys of the shackles of sin anymore because those shackles have been broken in Jesus Christ by the gospel. And so now we have no more condemnation. So now we have assurance and we have strength in fighting against sin. Because up until the moment that Jesus became our savior, our only response to sin and to temptation and to the flesh was, yes, whatever you say, I will do. But now, in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation, there is no slavery, there is freedom to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, and for the glory of his name, no, I will not do that anymore. I now have the power over that. But we're given it a strong warning in verse number 13, right? It says, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. It says, we're not obligated to the flesh anymore, so stop going back to it. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, what we have to understand is freedom from the power of sin does not mean that sin still doesn't have any power. Sin still has power. As a matter of fact, it may feel like it's stronger than ever because Satan's going to fight even harder. It gets sticky. It gets messy. It gets hard to, to, to say no to that sin because it's still that hungry predator. Just like it says in Genesis, it's always crouching at the door. Its desire is for us. Its desire is to own us. And he says in Genesis, but you must rule over it. And God in his mercy has given us the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to rule over it. So that's what we looked at last Sunday. And there were five things that we closed out with that I gave you to know on how we are that we can know that we're, that we're fighting sin in the spirit. And they'll borrow those from Pastor J.D. Greer. And that's humble confession of our sin. We don't confess our sins enough. James says that healing from our sins and power and strength over our sins will come when we confess them. Confess them to God. The thing about confessing our sins to God is God already knows. I think confession is talking about like it does in James chapter 1. He says, confess it one to another. We don't confess enough to each other like we should. I think a lot of times because we're too judgmental. The reason we don't confess is because we know how prone we are to judgment. We don't want others to judge us because we know how tempting it is for us to judge others. We love the soapy gossip. We love hearing bad things about others for some reason in our flesh. Total surrender giving everything we have, reassurance of the gospel. If the last time you considered the power of the gospel was when you got saved, you need to go back and revisit the gospel because the gospel needs to be preached every day to us. It is the power of the gospel that, re, that reaffirms us and, sh, and sets us free in him. Memorizing specific scriptures are important. I said I'm working on and I'm not getting very far, so pray for me. The month is running out faster than I can actually take in what I'm trying to learn, but I'm trying to memorize Romans chapter 8, the whole chapter this month. 
Because if it's a very important chapter, maybe I should have it committed to my heart. And then five is don't just avoid sin, but also pursue wisdom. So a lot of times we think that what Christianity is about is the things that I used to do bad, I don't do anymore because I figured out a way to avoid them. And that's great that we avoid sin. We should be like Joseph when he ran from Potiphar's wife. We should run from sin, but also what are you pursuing as you run from it? Pursue the wisdom of God. Our escape, our freedom, our protection is in the hand of God. See, the role of the Spirit isn't just to change our behavior. The role of the Spirit is to change our heart. And a lot of times we still stay very attracted to that sin. But as our heart begins to change towards God, that attraction of that sin begins to give way to the beauty of Christ in us. So that's what we talked about last Sunday. I just wanted to kind of review that. But number two this morning as we continue to move through this message and through this chapter is that the Spirit moves us towards Christ-likeness. The Spirit not only empowers us in our fight and in our battle against sin, but the Spirit will move us towards Christ-likeness. Just as it says, it's not enough just to run away from sin, but consider where we're moving towards. Where are we going the focus of the Christian life cannot just be, hey, I got through today by only committing two sins and they weren't even that bad. That's not a successful Christian life. A successful Christian life is I drew closer to Christ and my life and my heart and my mind looks more like Jesus every day. That's success in the Christian life and sometimes success in the Christian life looks a lot different than what we label as success in the world around us. Success in Christian life is not always labeled by the money that we make, the power that we have, the notoriety that we take. Success in the Christian life is measured by how close we are to Jesus. Verse number 14. It says, For all of those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Now in the original Greek language, that sons, that basically, it, it, it compiles all God's children the sons. Now, the reason that son is used there is because in the context of the ancient world that, that Paul was writing to, the sons were the ones who got the inheritance. Now, I didn't make the rules back then, but the rules, the rules are different today in our, in, in our generation, in our world. But the sons were the one who inherited the favor of, of the father. What he is saying is if we're led by the spirit, we will inherit we will inherit the goodness of God. We inherit the feelings that God has towards Jesus Christ because we then become co-heirs with Jesus. He looks at us and he sees his son because Jesus has covered us with his blood, with his mercy, with his grace. And the Bible says that he has imputed his righteousness to us, meaning he has moved his righteousness, which is 100%, over to our account, which is absolutely zero. It's like getting a debit card that never runs out. Wouldn't you love one of those? Or a credit card that you never have to pay back? It's like you just put, you, you put down everything on that card and every month you get that statement and it already says paid in full. That's what God's imputed righteousness to us is. This is what it means. You are God's sons. You have inherited the righteousness of God. You have inherited the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is what leads us towards that. 
See, some people look at the leading of the Spirit in some like mystical way. Like, I'm just pursuing God's will. I just want to know what God's, if I could just know what God's will was, I'd I'd step right into it. And they, they, we look at God's will and, and being led by the Spirit like some super Christian spidey sense that we get when, you know, we get saved. And only like really, really cool Christians get to know what the Spirit is saying. But the Bible is telling us that anyone can be led by the Spirit if they're in Jesus Christ. Anyone. So the question is, where am I being led by the Spirit? If I'm being led by the Spirit, where is it leading me? It's leading me to look and act and think more like Jesus. Because he's giving me the very heart of Jesus. I'm getting the inheritance of the righteousness of Christ. See, the context of this passage is not talking about some mysticism or special revelation to a select few. It's talking about the Spirit of God that leads all believers in the same direction. And that direction is towards Christlikeness. Now, I believe in God's general will for us and God's specific will. And what that means is God has a specific will for your life. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And sometimes those plans bring us together and sometimes those plans deviate us down the path. He gifts us for those plans and some of those gifts are different, but he also has a general will for our lives and this is what it is. His general will for all of us, all believers worldwide, is to make us more like Jesus, is to bring us to him. So try not to get caught up again in the gender of the language that we are all his sons because that means we have all inherited If you are a man, you're a son here. If you are a woman, you are a son here. If you are a child in Jesus Christ, you are a son here because you have that inheritance. So we're being led to Christ's likeness. And that happens through sanctification. Meaning, I'm getting set apart. I'm made more like Jesus every day. I give more of myself every day to Christ. And he makes me more like him. This is why so many people sometimes become disillusioned with God too. Because sometimes that gradual being made like Christ is painful and difficult. But think about this. You see, the the, the way we look sometimes at what it means to be a Christian, especially with prosperity gospel, and especially with a lot of times the way we look at it in a Western sense, we tend to look at everything in a line. Like everything is progressing this way, and if it's not progressing this way, then it's a bad thing. But that's not the way that the writers of Scripture were thinking because they didn't have that same type of context in their their understanding. We think that if it's not getting better at all times, something must be wrong. But sometimes things get worse. If you look at the Bible, a lot of times things get worse before they get better. And getting worse is what leads to the better. Even look at the ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about this. If we're being moved towards Christ's likeness, doesn't that mean that we'll go through some of the things that Jesus went through? Jesus went through great acceptance, didn't he? They loved him for a long time at the feeding of the 5,000 when he rolls out golden corral for everybody. Everybody loves him. The next day, everybody shows up hungry again and he's like, it's closed. Buffet is closed. And everybody walks, and he says, but I do have a message for you. He says, he, and he starts talking about eating, eating his body and drinking his blood. And everybody's like, whoa, this guy's too much. And they literally say it's too hard. And they walk away. And the only ones still standing there are the disciples. Jesus' ministry was like this all the time. And the trajectory that he ended his earthly ministry on was in the ground. He began his ministry as the Savior by bursting out of the tomb. 
You see, Jesus' ministry, he had as many as 10 to 15,000 people at one meeting, at one worship service. But when he died, when he did his greatest work, there were three people who loved him and were crying. Three. Everyone else abandoned. So as we're moved towards Christ's likeness, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to even wonder, God, what are you doing? Guess what Jesus even said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried and sweated drops of blood in the garden saying, if it's your will that this doesn't happen, I'd be happy for you to take it from me. But he didn't. Sometimes we negate the ministry of suffering because it's just our American way. But suffering sometimes is the blessing that God gives us to move us towards Christ-likeness. We often look at Christianity for all the benefits, and there are countless benefits. Eternal home in heaven, power of the Spirit, relationship with Christ. We often think that God's ultimate goal in saving us is to make our lives better. And sometimes I've even just been guilty of preaching that. Just get saved and your life will get better. Yes, it will because your destination and you will be in God's hands. It will get better. But the conditions of your life may not always get better until you reach heaven. But Jesus is still worth it. That's the gospel. If in this life all you have is Jesus, you have more than the one who has everything but Jesus. God's ultimately, ultimate goal is not to make our lives better. God's ultimate goal is to make us like Jesus. Because a Christ-like life, Christ -like life is always the best life. He wants complete Christ-likeness and total wholehearted devotion. But what we often settle for is just enough of Jesus to get us out of trouble. That's what we want a lot of times. Just enough of Jesus to get us out of trouble. He's seen all those really cutesy shirts, you know, and everything because every, you know, it fits the farmhouse aesthetic or whatever aesthetic you're going for and everything. It's like, I just need coffee. And I just need a little coffee and a whole lot of Jesus and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, that's really cute. But in other ways, it's a little blasphemous too, right? Because what we're finding out is what we need is Jesus and that's it. Now, I'm still going to enjoy my two to three to five cups, none of your business cups of coffee a day. <laughs> I ain't saying don't drink your coffee, but I'm saying coffee is my enjoyment in this life. It's not my sustainer of this life. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to need coffee to sustain me. I'm going to need coffee to even have the energy to crawl to the cross, okay? But it's Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. There was this poem that I found that I thought was really good. It says, I would like $3 of Jesus, please. I would like $3 of Jesus. Now, I did, not, I did not calculate for inflation, so maybe he's wanting more like $10 today. I don't know. I would like $3 of Jesus, please. I don't want enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough of him to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love my enemies, political or otherwise, or even Tennessee fans. I don't want him to open my, I don't want to open my home and my hand to the immigrant. I want the ecstasy and the joy of salvation, but not a transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the labor of a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, please. I would just like $3 worth of God. This is our salvation experience many times. All we want is that ticket to heaven. But the rest of our life, we expect everything to just go smoothly. And if it doesn't, then where is God? I encourage you to go back through scripture and look at what happened to the people that God used the most. The people that God used the most suffered greatly at times in their life.
the very man who wrote this would eventually be lashed to within an inch of his life. And he would say later on in Galatians, he says, from henceforth, let no man bother me because I bear on my very physical body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imprisoned, beaten, scourged. All for the name of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we say, man, how great it must have been to be like Paul. Really? Do we want to be shipwrecked? Do we want to be bitten by a viper? Do we want all those things to happen? I mean, that's what we're saying. How great would it have been to be Moses? Do you want to be chased by the Egyptian army for murder? Do we want that? But God still used them in the midst of their suffering. See, this is not the kind of Jesus, this $3 Jesus is not the kind of Jesus that the gospel sells. The Spirit leads us to Christ-likeness. So as we walk with the Spirit, and this is, this is, this is what I hope you're getting from this, because I'm still trying to learn this. Walking with the Spirit doesn't always mean that you're singing hymns everywhere you go. Sometimes walking with the Spirit means you cry a lot more tears. And you feel weaker than you've ever felt. But you also feel confident in knowing that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Sometimes walking with the Spirit means lower attendance on Sunday morning. Lower amounts of money in the offering plate. But if the Spirit of God is still present... And that's the question. The Spirit of God is still present. He's moving us and shaping us to Christ-likeness. Where is the Spirit of God leading? The Spirit of God is always leading towards Christ-likeness. The Spirit's goal is Christ-likeness, and he'll be satisfied with nothing less. And if he's not moving you towards that, you can be assured, or if he's moving you towards that, you can be assured that he's in you. And you can be assured that he's moving you towards being like Jesus. He's moving you even if everything in your flesh is screaming at God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Have you forgotten me? I'm right here. My dreams, all the things I laid on you, they didn't come true. Is God still God even if your dreams don't come true? That's the question that the Spirit asks us as he moves us towards Christlikeness. And then the last thing that the Spirit is doing, the Spirit is assuring us that we belong to Christ forever. The Spirit assures us that we belong to Christ forever. Look at verse number 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See that, that word Abba there, if you circle it or whatever you want to, that word Abba there, that's not some cheesy band from the 70s. Okay, although it is one and they have a couple of good songs. But that word Abba there is really a shorthand word for father. And what I find interesting is just about every language form has this shorthand form for father. It's that repetitive two syllables just slammed together, just repetitive. Like a small child still learning to talk learns to say to their dad. We have it in English. It's dada. Right? In Spanish, it's papa. You know, or Portuguese or something like that. Uh, later on, uh, in, in Indonesian, it's bapa. In Spanish, it's papa. In Turkish, it's baba. Abba is the sound that would come from a toddler like as they're stumbling towards their dad as they're learning to walk and they're holding out their hands knowing that dad is going to pick them up and not let them fall. 
That's the sound and that's the, the guttural sound that it makes. And what it reminds us of is this, is that you are no longer a slave, only good for what you do. You are a child of God who rests in the hand of God, who is held by the arms of God, and you need God every day like that toddler needs its dad. And it's Abba. It's the yearning in our spirit when we cry out to God. See, we're looking for somebody who loves us perfectly and can care for us and someone that we can trust to never let us down. And no matter where you look out here, no matter where you look up here, no matter where you look out there, someone's going to let you down. They don't have the credentials to always come through because they're not God. But God, our Abba, our Heavenly Father, never lets us down. No matter how good, and, and I want to say this because I know we've got some new dads in our church. And, and, and you're going to have a problem with what I have to say. You're really going to have a problem with what I have to say. But no matter how good of an earthly father you're trying to be, you're going to let your kids down. You're going to do it. So let yourself off the hook with that. You're going to let your kids down. Even the best dads let their kids down. If for no other reason, then we can't be with them forever. I've had to learn that lesson as I watch my 16-year-old drive off in a car. You talk about letting your kids in God's hands. That's tough, right? Every father will leave their children feeling as though they lack something. And if the course of life runs like it normally does, every father is eventually going to not be there for their kids. Because fathers die before their kids in the natural flow of things. But God, <laughs> I said, but God, he doesn't do that. He never lets his kids down. Never, never once. So dads, here's what I say. That realization that we fight against all the time, that we can't be everything for our kids then we better spend our time that we do have pointing them to the one who is everything to them. He never lets us down. He always catches his kids. Abba is always there for his kids. I remember the first time my kids fell as they were learning to walk and bump their head. Do you know what I thought about them at first? I thought, man, they're clumsy like their mama. No, I didn't think that. I thought, I thought, man, why wasn't I there to pick them up? Why wasn't I there to catch them? It was my fault. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. But God is there. God is there. We cannot fall out of his hand. He always has us. Paul said this. He says, we don't have the spirit of slavery anymore. We have the spirit of adoption. And adoption tells us that God chose us. It wasn't just the luck of the genetic draw. God looked at us in our loneliness and in our brokenness. And he adopted us. He chose us. He said, I want you. When we needed him the most, he took us in. He's not obligated to us. It tells us that he accepted us and he made us his heir. And verse number 16 says, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. God is constantly through the Holy Spirit reminding us, you're mine. Constantly reminding us, Daddy's here. I'm never leaving you. And I don't know what you're going through right now, and I don't know what you, how you feel about God. You may feel like he's abandoned you, but I promise you, otherwise, this word, just take it and burn it up. He's there in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the sorrow. He is there. 
He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He holds us. The Spirit lives in us to keep testifying to our soul that we are God's children. This is why the big idea, again, was assurance and security in our faith comes from intimacy with the Spirit. Because as we come to the Spirit, the Spirit reminds us, you belong to me. You belong to God. Are you always going to be worthy of being the apple of the Father's eye? No. We're never worthy of being the apple of the Father's eye. You're never going to be worthy of it. But we're never not accepted. We're never not loved and we are never alone. We're never abandoned and we're never without hope. And we're never outside the embrace of our Abba. We're never outside the, the loving and comforting and secure hand of our Dada. That's the assurance that the Spirit gives to us that we are His forever. And what I find beautiful is Jesus actually called God Abba a few times in Scripture as well. In one scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus went to the cross, remember when I was telling you about he was sweating drops of blood? He cried out to Jesus, guess what he called him? Dada. He said Abba. Just like a fearful and scared and frightened baby, he cried out to his dad. And if Jesus had to cry out to his heavenly father that way, how much more do we need to? And here's the thing. When Jesus cried out to his dad, it broke the father's heart because the father forsook him. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says that God turned his back on Jesus because of the amount of sin that was laid upon him. The one time that God heard the, heard the cry, Abba, that he forsook him was Jesus. But he forsook him so he could accept us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that was on us was brought upon him. And by his wounds and stripes, we are healed. Jesus cried out, Abba, and was forsaken. So we could cry out, Abba, and be received. When you see this verse, it's not just a nice little illustration. It's a reminder of just what Jesus suffered so we could have everything. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you should always feel just warm and fuzzy no matter what you're going through because here's what the Spirit is reminding us. The Spirit is reminding us that we are God's child. We are God's child at all times. And I don't need the assurance of a continual good circumstance to give me joy and security in my life because I have the Abba Father in my life. I have assurance that my Father has me, that my Father loves me, that my Father is with me, and that he is working for his glory and for my good because his glory is our good, church. What this means, I don't need that assurance of a continual good life and good circumstances means that I have the Abba Father. I have the assurance that my Father is in me. And I'm not saying that I have to have, that, that I'm not saying that I should always feel warm and fuzzy no matter what I'm going through. Sometimes I'm going to cry. I'm saying that the Spirit works in us to give us a resolve to believe that the promise of the gospel, even when our hearts feel like it's in turmoil, is you are mine. You are loved. I want you. So why can I say this with all the confidence in the world? Because of verse number 17. Look at this. I believe this is the very best part. It says, if we are his children, which we are, verse 16 establishes that. If we are his children, then we are also heirs. 
We are heirs of God, which means the inheritance, which means the family name, which means the family business, which means protection. Makes it sound like the mob, right? (laughs) We are heirs of God, and get this, we are co-heirs with Christ. Hmm. That's beautiful, isn't it? (laughs) Wait for the second part. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also be glorified with him. See, in biblical days, when somebody was adopted, all that belonged to the adoptive parents became the possession of the child that was adopted. And the child took the family name, got the inheritance. Even after rejecting God in sin, he still gave his son, who took all our sin and grief, and gave us the full abundance of his treasure in heaven. Through Christ, we have everything that Jesus does. A home in heaven, a heavenly father, perfection from sin. And we're made co-heirs with Christ. What Christ has in his inheritance, we have in our inheritance. And now we also see that we also inherit the suffering of Jesus with it. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. So I like this one. I'm I'm not coming back next week to hear about this. No, you need to hear about this because suffering is part of the Christian experience. And we need to know that in the midst of suffering, God is still there. You can't hear this part without understanding That in the midst of suffering, God is still there. Because I think that's what's making so many people today disillusioned with God. It's not working out the way I expected. And and I'll say this. A lot of times what we're hearing from preachers and stuff today, especially in the prosperity gospel, is if you do everything right, God's going to give you everything right. That's not what the word says. To be true to the word is to understand that yes, suffering will come. But no, God will never leave you alone in that. And yes, God always has a purpose for it. Always. That's the goodness of God. He's not going to waste our pain. There's never a tear that falls that he doesn't know about. And he doesn't redeem. (laughs) God redeems our tears. He redeems our pain. He will answer all of our questions in his time. And until he does, he says, I'm here with you. The Holy Spirit, again, assurance of our faith, assurance of God as the object of our faith comes from intimacy with the Spirit. So as we close out this morning, I ask you this question. Can you say that your relationship with the Spirit of God is one that is intimate? One where you go to God and he knows it all and you pour it out to him. You're not trying to impress God in your prayers. You're not trying to to put on a show. You just lay it out. So one of my one of my like mantras of life have always been to just be real. Like when God in the ministry and everything, I just I just want to be real. I don't want to put on a show. I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. I can't say that I've always kept to that. Because sometimes I paint on a smile when things are going hard. God is always there. There's always a reason to smile. There's always a reason to have that confidence in him. So as we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, this is the question that we ask. Is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? If all you had was Jesus, is it enough? If all you ever got in following Jesus was suffering, but you also got him, would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to be assured that you are a child of God? You see, the greatest part of being a follower of Jesus is that following him means that you're in his presence. That means that no matter where he leads, he's there as you follow. He's always there.
Sometimes God doesn't offer us his immediate deliverance, but what he always does offer us is his continual presence. Is that enough? Have you given full control to Jesus? Are you depending upon the Spirit as you fight sin? Are you listening to the Spirit as he draws you to Christ-likeness? And are you living in the confidence of the fact that I am his child? What could be greater? And if you're watching this morning or if you're in here this morning and you say, I don't know for sure if I am his child. All this talk of being saved in the gospel, and I don't know if I completely understand all of that. I encourage you to come today and let's talk about that. Let's get that straight. If you died today, do you know for sure that heaven would be your home? And I don't say that to scare you. I say for you to think about this. Because to live your life with everything but Jesus is to waste a life. To live your life with nothing but Christ is a beautiful life. But in the midst of it, God gives us more than nothing. He gives us everything. Have you come to Jesus Christ? Do you realize, hey, I'm, I'm a sinner. I am still a slave to my sin. The only way for that slavery to be broken, the only way for those shackles to be broken is for Jesus Christ to burst it open with his grace. Repent of your sins and come to him to be your savior. If you need to talk about that today, let's do that. If you're watching today and you say, hey, I, I need Jesus. I need, I, need my, I need a savior. Then let's talk about that. GracewayLex at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook right there where you're at. Just click message and you message us. Somebody will be with you very fast. But don't leave here today without knowing where you stand with God and also without taking the opportunity to draw closer. Heavenly Father, do your will and way in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand... Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.